You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It is the APC podcast from acmepackingcompany.com. That's what that stands for, APC Part of SB Nation and Vox Media. Subscribe to the show. Give us a rating if you if you haven't already. Hey, also, if you're listening on a browser or some other internet vestige, subscribe to the show. You can find us anywhere podcasts are found by searching for Acme Packing Company. That is where we are at. And today we are talking about your five and one Green Bay Packers. I am Zach Rapport in Albuquerque, New Mexico. No Alex Patakis today as he is uh, deep in the middle of an intense research project trying to decode the ancient texts which describe the in and outs of illegal hands to the face. So I'm sure we will have more on that soon. But I am happy to be joined by a man who now lives in a very sad slash angry city, at least perhaps at this moment in time in Detroit, Michigan. It's Ben Foldy. How are you doing, man? Uh, exceedingly dumb, uh, <laughs> the the sentiments around here. But, you know, I think every time I encounter like Detroit saltiness, I'm, I'm a little... I'm a little confused. Uh, I, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I'm great. So, so great. salty, so salty. But you are otherwise great. Um, hey Ben, quick question for you. Do you think what's up? Do you think that you could beat Jimmy Graham in a foot race? <laughs> He's a lot taller than I am. It's so true. I'd go with no. He's got that long stride. I just remember yeah. this third, third and long where he catches it in the open field, and I was like, I think I tweeted out a a gif of like a sloth walking or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so about that, I know that nobody wants to talk about anybody's fantasy teams, but I needed uh, 3.4 points, I think, from Jimmy Graham last night to win my matchup, and and uh, I think I got 2.6. <laughs> no, I got I got like 2.9, I think. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, the Packers, of course, beat the Lions on a walk-off game-winning field goal, 23 to 22 uh, was the final score in Lambeau after a hard-fought, totally not controversial game. It was good, clean fun, and nobody is grumpy about it at all. We've got some listener-supplied questions coming up a little bit later, but first let's discuss some notable nuggets, some nuggets of note, some hashtag note nugs, Ben, other uh, other than Fantasy Corner and living amongst salty Lions fans. And I see your cat there in the background in the video chat. Hey, Yushka. He says hello. OG original uh, mascot of the APC pod. Sonny, our intern, is actually not in the room with me. Anyway, I'm stalling. Note nugs. Give me your uh, give me your notable nugget coming out of this game, Ben. I mean, I think there's some obvious note nugs, and I'm going to try to go for one less obvious. Good, because I'll go obvious after you, so... <laughs> There was a real a real breakout player on the field last night, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, that player was Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Dean Dean Lowry. Yeah, him too. 
Kyle <laughs> oh yeah, never mind. Not Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's the point guard on the Toronto Raptors. If he were there, it really would be a breakout. Um, <laughs> What's he doing there? Yeah, he's so small. Um, <laughs> Weird. Yeah, Dean Lowry had a hell of a game. So good that I still don't remember his name. But uh, what are you so good do? that I saw in not to interrupt you, but I, I but I'm going to interrupt you anyway. I saw in. Uh, Matt LaFleur's press conference today just randomly like unsolicited after he had answered a totally unrelated question as a long pause and then he just kind of leaned into the mic and goes Dean Lowry had a heck of a game he did unsolicited (laughs) I would say that Dean Lowry was the he well I mean okay so Jair Alexander had an amazing game and uh that's not totally surprising let's say anymore I mean more often than not, he's playing exceedingly well. Right. The Smiths had had a really good game. Um, <laughs> I got it at the ready. <laughs> thank you. But, you know, I mean, as far as, like, breakouts go, I mean, Dean Lowry in the first quarter in particular and, and throughout the game, I mean, really, really uh, stout up the middle. And I know that you texted during the game about, I think you said that, you know, the the run defense had improved significantly since Philadelphia. And my theory for that game still holds true, which is that they were really tired on a four day rest and coming and, and then also facing the best offensive line in the league. Yeah. You know, Detroit is a step down in terms of the offensive line. Um I think Carrion's actually as good as either of the Philadelphia backs, but you know, step down from the offensive line perspective, and also and also the extra day of rest. I mean, but Dean Lowry was huge in stopping the run and huge in really, I mean, sucking a lot of the momentum out of out of the Lions after the first quarter. I yeah. mean, even during the first quarter. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. I noticed him a few times rewatching the game. He did a great job sort of as the rusher was approaching, getting off of his man and just kind of smothering, smothering the, the ball carrier. That was really impressive. And I believe we have a listener question that is Dean Lowry related, which we will get to a little bit later. Uh, On to my note nug. I am going to take the bait. You took the took the high road and uh, went with a, a more obscure nug. But uh, down here. In the cheap seats, I'm not going to take the the high road. I'm going to take the bait. The Packers winning on a game-winning field goal. And a lot of Lions fans, of course, are are salty about the illegal hands to the face, which I jokingly made mention of earlier uh, in the show. Uh, but I I don't have a ton to say about this, but I wanted to address it. I I went back and forth, like, is was that a good call? Is it not a good call? Is it technically the rule? Is it not technically the rule? I, you know, whatever. Ultimately... Here's what here's what it came down to after rewatching the game. The Packers would still have been in position to kick the game-winning field goal without that penalty. That penalty occurred with the Packers on the 16-yard line. They had driven all the way down the field. Detroit, let me correct myself. Detroit had let them drive all the way down the field and to get well within field goal range to the 16-yard line. To, so to say that the refs handed the Packers the game is patently false basically um you know the officiating was look it's not good um but show me any game in the last few years where where you walked away saying golly gee the refs they really knocked it out of the park with this game they they did a great job it's funny because i think the first quarter there were no flags i feel like the uh, announcers drew drew attention to that fact and we're like oh fans are really good oh there's no flags it's like <laughs> ah, suckers yeah, and ultimate, ultimately, um, I think that they were they were flagged for virtually the same yardage. I think Green Bay had forty eight 
accumulated 48 penalty yards and it was 50 uh, for for the Lions. But, you know, poor officiating and complaining about it is kind of a national pastime at this point. But um, the final, if the final hands to the face call had not happened, I think the Packers still would have likely kicked the game-winning field goal. Yeah, I mean, none of, none of the calls... Word. The Lions would have gotten the ball back, but the Lions had also moved the ball all of 58 freaking yards in the entire second half. 58 yards in the entire second half. So I just yeah, they got more yards on that interception return. Yeah, I just I, I just I don't buy it, man. You want to win the game, gain more than 58 yards in the second half. You want to win the game, turn three turnovers into more than I think it was just three field goals. Give me a break. Yeah, it's it's it was a f- I mean, and also like that interception was fluky. They didn't earn that interception they didn't like you know the fumble on the special teams was fluky it's not Detroit was just to act like they so clearly deserved to win that game which seems to be the general sentiment on Twitter is to me so divorced from the reality of what that game was yeah um that you know it's like if you really want to make an argument that you deserve to win a game do it in a game where you look better than that because if that's like what you're going off of like yeah, you also deserve to win the Arizona game, but you shot yourselves in the balls when you did the when you called a timeout. <laughs> like, you know, it's like nobody nobody forces Detroit to be Detroit, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> man, I should cut that. That is a sound drop waiting to happen. Um, that no, should also it's, like that would make my life here hard. <laughs> it's it's funny that, uh, though because they both like at once, as you pointed out. You know, there's this sentiment that they like felt like they should have, that they really earned that victory. Um, but at the same time, like at once they feel that way. And also, I felt like they were coaching and kind of playing scared for the entire game. Um, I, I mentioned to you, Ben and Alex in our group chat during the game after after that first play from the Lions, the uh, the flea flicker, um, the big gainer. Um, I said something like this early trickery from Patricia tells me that he's worried about outlasting the Packers in this game because it made me think of moves like it's just like classic McCarthy versus the Patriots or even like Nagy versus uh, versus the Packers last year. You know, you pull out all the stops to try to maximize your points in in the opening few possessions because, you know, it's going to be a slugfest for the rest of the game. And if you really look in the mirror, you don't 100% trust that your team is just better and will outlast the opponent. So I thought that I thought that that was really indicative of how they felt um, about the Packers. And then ultimately the way that they coached and played the rest of the game, I mean, 13, the 13 carries total, I think for, for carry on Johnson um, in a game that they led most of the, most of the way, sometimes by more than a touchdown, that doesn't make sense. They possess the ball for like, 80% of the first quarter and then ultimately end up losing the time of possession battle by a not significant amount. So I, I guess, um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think they, they, they did not deserve to win. I just want to dispel that. That's all. Yeah. No, we are both agreed on that. One last thing that I will say on all of this, um, and I don't think that that final penalty was a super awesome call, but the refs, blow calls like that in every single game and that is not hyperbole and if this game wasn't the only game on 
a primetime affair, then we're not spending nearly as much time talking about it. We're not calling our congressperson. We're not starting Twitter beefs. Yeah, I mean, they, they blew the Alecton Jennings holding call. Who cares? Yeah. It's like they and also, you know, the other thing that really uh, kind of set me off a little is I saw a lot of people being like, oh, my God, what's the defender supposed to do there? Like not concuss Geronimo. And it's like. If you're more upset over the blown call than the fact that we watch this sport that like scrambles young men's brains, you know, we lost Geronimo Allison for the rest of the game and probably another week. Let's At assume least, like that was yeah. a pretty brutal hit. Yeah. Um, you can take 15 yards. Like just, you know, it doesn't have yeah. to be anybody's fault. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, I think of it the way that I think of a high stick in hockey. It's like, you know, you weren't necessarily trying to be a jerk, but, uh, you know, the game happens, and uh, y- y- you know we lost Jamal Williams for a week. Who who knows? Yeah. Maybe we could have beat uh, Philadelphia. In fact, we yeah. probably you know there's a bunch of arguments to be made that we would have beat Philadelphia if um, we had Jamal Williams, and instead he got taken out of a game for a horrible, stupid hit. Quick shout out to Jamal Williams bouncing back and having an awesome game, stepping up for Aaron Jones, who who did not have. Uh, quite as awesome a game. And with that, let's move on to some listener-supplied note nugs at the APC pod on Twitter. Tweet us after every game. Hashtag note nugs. Tell us about your notable nuggets. I'm going to package a few of these together. Um, John and another John and Ben writing in. Um, John Ramos tweets in, I don't want to hear about how bad the offense is when they're down to wide receiver 3.5 and a couple guys named Darius who look lost most of the game, still winning a game after three turnovers. Um, Then uh, John, J-O-N, different spelling, writes in, it's the alien lizard coming out party. Alien lizard, of course, the favorite nickname of Alan Lazard, uh, of uh, our, our humble leader, Tex Western, and then Ben Saylor writing in, I really got ahead of myself when I declared this Darius Shepard season. I wanted to package those all, all together because Shepard and Lazard, I think, are, are two guys that that uh, we in the um, idiots talking into a microphone community kind of grouped together I- in the offseason as these position battles wore on. Shepard was a guy that people were excited about. Lazard obviously was cut and then brought back. Ben, how do you feel about this wide receiver depth right now? Darius Shepard obviously having a pretty disappointing game. Yeah, I think people are making too big a deal out of that. Can we at least can we get him off uh can we get him off kick returns and punt returns? <laughs> so I don't know. Can he no. learn from that? Who else do you want back there? Uh the guy they cut, Tremont Smith. He's objectively sure. better at returning kicks, but <laughs> he made a bad decision. It's like he's a rookie undrafted free agent, you know, like Sure. Did he did he screw up? Yeah, he screwed that up. The interception, yeah. I, he lost his footing and the that ball was not his fault. Face. That like, was not his fault. It was not his fault. And everybody's like, oh, my God, he's cut. It's like, well, yeah, except who's going to play wide receiver? You know, I, I'm more upset with Jimmy Graham after that game than I am about Darius Shepard. Yeah. So everybody kind of being like time to cut Darius Shepard. I don't really understand. I mean, I understand. I just think they're wrong. Alan Lazard, I've been high on for you know two years now basically i mean to varying degrees of highness but i i thought he was a third or fourth round prospect coming out of college and i that hasn't really changed in in the past year and a half and uh yeah i mean i i'm happy he's with the packers and i've i think i've been saying that for weeks now so i'm gonna keep saying that 
Craig writes in on a similar note, Alan Lazard is moving up the depth chart, but none of this is possible without a strong showing from the Packers D. Having a strong D and the personalities on it have made this season a blast. Um, I totally agree with that. I want to move on to Gavin, who says, We proved we can win an ugly game from behind. Signs of an all-around team. Ben, I definitely agree with that. What do you think? It seems like um, this is a Packers team that's shown they can win all kinds of football games. Yeah, I mean, I texted, I don't know if I texted you this, but I definitely texted my girlfriend this last night in the first quarter, um, that when they went down early, all I wanted to see, I didn't really care if they won or lost at that point. I just wanted to see like a resilient football team that didn't fold in the face of a bunch of reasons to have a crappy game. Uh, other than being at home on a Monday night, I don't like. If, if anything, I think that kind of ups ups the the ability for things to get out of hand early. Like if they do, um, so I really kind of wanted to just see how the team kind of handled its comportment as the night yeah. went on. Yeah, and by that standard, I think, I mean, this is a really well coached football team. I wouldn't say that it's the most innovatively coached football team on offense like it's not as flashy as i think a lot of fans expected with the like you know fairy dust of 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 mcveigh kind of (laughs) in people's eyes um but it's a well and let's also kind of parcel out special teams to a certain extent um but i think as far as offense and defense and normal 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 coaching goes um this is a really well coached football team they keep their heads I haven't seen the team like collapse and yeah. that's not something you can say about, I mean, I guess, you know, we harped on the, the f- first and goal from the one enough. I think, uh, I'm not saying they're perfectly coached, but especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, there's not been a game where I come away thinking that, that Mike Patton has ever been really out coached. Yeah. Um, and I think that is giving, so far, it seems like a lot of a lot of room for Matt Lafleur to run a solid football team, and like I, I actually I think these Packers are really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think they've played the third most difficult schedule this season by DVOA. I think they were putting in a new offense, and I think like you know there's some manpower issues at the moment with injuries, but they've kind of taken those hits and kept on going whereas in years past i think we'd probably be saying at this point like oh it'd be so great if we weren't injured like always and this year we're injured like always and instead we're saying hey we're five and one and like don't really see any reason for this team to come down anytime soon yeah everyone should be thrilled and elated at five and one moving on jenna writes in where is danny vitale is he okay where is danny vitale the guy we were so pumped on, I was so pumped on in the preseason, catching balls out of the backfield. He's in the lineup a little bit. I see him doing some blocking, but um, not too many pass catching opportunities uh, for a, a team that is a little uh, weapon starved right now. I heard actually Aaron Nagler ask a question about Danny Vitale and, and his usage uh, in a press conference today with with Matt LaFleur. And I think Matt LaFleur basically just chalked it up to hasn't been the right situation against against the right team. So um, I thought that was actually a pretty honest answer from him, and maybe they're, maybe they're cooking up something behind the scenes. All right, let's move on from Notable Nuggets. We've got a few questions coming in also uh, on, on Twitter. Ben Saylor writing in, Is it too soon to declare Alan Lazard the wide receiver three? Wow, that's a fast turnaround. What do you think? 
<laughs> at the moment, he's the wide receiver one. <laughs> oh, what is my life? But no, I mean, in reality, okay, so Devontae, MVS, Lazard. Uh, I think the difficulty there is that Lazard and MVS will probably, are they're pretty similar profiles. And I, I, I guess, I mean, this is like where this becomes this thing of like, how do you, who's who on a depth chart and is like, you know, is a good slot receiver worth more or less, or is that your wide receiver three? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess, is it, uh, I guess is it, if the question is, is it too soon for, to expect Alan Lazard to produce on 17% of the team's targets? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you, if, if somebody does what he's done with his opportunities, you feed those opportunities until he doesn't do it anymore. I mean, he's, he's being an efficient player. And I think, the thing about Lazard is that Darius Shepard isn't going to be any taller. <laughs> He's not working on that in the offseason? No? His physical profile is what it is. Uh, Lazard's physical profile is pretty great. He's got a really good college production profile. Like, there's a lot of indicators that Lazard could be like a above average NFL receiver. Um, Darius Shepard could be that, but is you know, the odds are, are much higher against it. So I, I think at the moment, Lazard has the profile both physically and, and as a production profile that you give him the opportunities that you have until you have a reason not to. And, you know, I guess I, this is, I guess I feel like I've wandered through this answer enough to get to this point, but no, he's your wide receiver three until he gives you a reason not to treat him that way. Yeah, and Matt LaFleur also has, has preached that uh, production will beget more opportunities. So, um, And we know that's the case with Rodgers, too. Yeah, totally, like, totally. Like, if you're making that catch, if Rodgers believes he can throw you that ball and you'll come down with it, he'll try it again. Like, yeah. we've seen this for years, and until he screws it up, I don't think there's any reason not to th- not to treat him as a wide receiver three. That could change, too. I mean, yeah. you know, if he does start making drops, yeah. Let's move on to a question from Ronnie on Twitter. And I wanted to to ask this because we've talked for a few weeks about potential trade pickups at wide receiver. Like who, who might we be interested in the Packers going after? This is a different, a different take on, on this question. Do you guys expect the Packers to make a move for a wide receiver? And at first when I got this question, I kind of thought, no, I think the safe money is on. No, they're not going to pick anyone up. However, the more I thought about it, you know, we've never seen Brian Gutekunst managing a team that that had a shot to make an impact in the playoffs. And they are depleted at that position. So it got me thinking that I actually don't quite know, you know, what to expect from him. He's been a little riskier. Uh, willing to take flyers on on free agents, willing to spend money um, than his predecessor, Ted Thompson. But I I don't know how to answer that question. What do you think? I mean, to me, it seems so market specific. Like it really would come down to... It does seem that the NFL is moving a little more towards this kind of like in-season trade spiel than it used to be. but, you know, this time last week or maybe the week before, people were like, oh, Stefan Diggs is available. I was like, Stefan Diggs was never available. <laughs> like, I don't, what do, what do people think that, that 
I, I don't I don't know who people think is available that would be a clear upgrade. I guess one team I could see potentially maybe one of these guys on the Chiefs, you know, these these guys who pop up once and are the you know, team's leading receiver for a week and then you never hear them again. Byron Pingle or whatever his name is. Um I don't know, but I I guess maybe Devontae Parker. But like I'm not sure if Devontae Parker would be any more or less frustrating than, you know, any of these guys that people are complaining about as wide receiver two point fives or whatever. So it sounds like your your answer really is be, be uh that unless unless that right opportunity comes along and it and it hasn't yet as far as we know, um, the answer is no. Am I reading you wrong? Good wide receivers don't grow on trees and people aren't looking to move them for peanuts nine times yeah. out of ten. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know who. I mean, I guess you know the Emmanuel Sanders one is the one that makes the most sense to me still in terms of like fit, player, presumably price. Hear me out. Hear me out. A first round pick for Amari Cooper. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, you know, I guess if there's a point at this season mm. where where the team thinks, I don't, I don't see a wide receiver being all that necessary. Like, I think the team is showing that they can win without. Why mortgage the future if Devontae is probably back next week? MVS is is good to go. Yeah. Uh, and maybe I'm not Lazard optimistic. And... I'm not. I, I take your point, but I'm not optimistic that Devontae Adams is going to be back. I personally, my my crystal ball prediction is that is that he is out until after the bye. I want to move on um, to a question coming in from Brian. I thought this was a really uh, fun question. Speaking of crystal ball, as I just mentioned a moment ago, do you guys do anything strange right before a game-winning field goal is attempted? For example, last night I had my hood on my sweatshirt pulled as tight as it could go around my face so all I could see was the TV. Ben, do you have any any uh, rituals? <laughs> no. We've watched a few games together. I haven't noticed anything from you. Other than feeling stressed. Yeah, no, there's a lot of pacing. Um, I remember the Cowboys one that we watched together, that playoff game. I mean, I was definitely, like, standing and, like, you know, quelling. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't – yeah, there's nothing there's, – there's not an OCD routine beyond, like – I mean, by that point in the game, my fingernails are already dust, and, uh, <laughs> like, most of the damage has been done. So, uh, no, I don't have a routine. Yeah, I uh, for that particular kick, my TV is is on a, a mantle. So I was uh, similar to you. I, I pace. I get up. I talk to myself. I was uh, probably I was standing in front of the TV, which again is on the mantle. So it's like eye level with me as I'm standing, and uh, I'm like three feet from it, just really intensely, quietly watching on. But no uh, crazy kind of rituals. I will say this to quote. Um, Michael Scott, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious because um, I I do do this thing where I have a few different Packers shirts and I'm not superstitious necessarily about the shirts. But for example, last week I wore a specific shirt. It's a, a black flag Green Bay Packers fusion T-shirt, which, by the way, I will, I will post a picture of that uh, on our Instagram account at the APC pod on Instagram for literally no reason other than stupid vanity stuff like this. Um, I was wearing that shirt last week just by happenstance. It's the one I reached for in the drawer. 
um, when they beat the Cowboys. And I thought, ah, I liked the positive energy I felt during that game. So I'll wear that shirt again. So I wore the shirt again, but it wasn't because I thought it was like, this will bring me good luck or this will will the team to victory in some cosmic way. It's just, uh, I just wanted to recapture that feeling. I don't know. You do anything like that? <laughs> uh, I used to try to wear a Wisconsin themed t-shirt uh, for every game. Never, almost never a Packers themed t-shirt, but a, a just a more broadly Wisconsin specific, whether it was a band from Wisconsin or, uh, you know, my Victor Burger shirt or whatever. One last question coming in from Steven on Twitter. Do you think that Dean Lowry has outplayed Kenny Clark as of late? And do you think he deserves more snaps? Do I think that Dean Lowry has outplayed Kenny Clark? No. Do I think that the that the Smiths are getting all the sacks they get without without Kenny Clark getting double teamed all the time? No. So that's a great way to put it. The fact that offensive lines have to account for a big young dude trashing them at the point of attack every down, down after down after down. Uh, no, I mean, I look, look, I'm not going to go back on my note nug, right? Like, I think Dean Lowry had a great game, but I think that to boil down uh, play on the front like that to kind of those types of, of number stats and, you know, being able to, you know, big kind of run blow up plays. I don't, I don't think I haven't seen Kenny Clark's game take like a big step back. Uh, at yeah, all. I agree with that. And with that, I'm going to hit the polka. We are going to bob up and down and we are going to work on getting out of here at the end of another APC podcast thank you for listening thank you for downloading give us a rating on itunes slash apple podcast slash whatever they call it now and wherever you get your podcasts i do quickly want to read off the uh, the top 10 here as it were so far in the apc podcast listener pick'em league i am falling way out of contention i think i dropped a 20th this week um yeah, tough couple weeks. Hard hard games to protect. Really, really odd couple of weeks. But uh, coming out strong uh, last couple weeks. In first place, Matthew Soik. I'm sure he will correct me if I am wrong on Twitter at the APC pod. Matthew Soik is in first place. Chris Pirtle, Sean Williams, Simon Hardy, Christian Schmidt, Gage Bridgeford, Kyle Clifton, Sean Wagner, our fearless leader, Evan Tex Western, one-time winner, Victor Alves. Lauren Summer as well, creeping in there. Our old buddy Lauren. That is the top 10 in the podcast listener pick'em league. All right, the Packers pick up another victory. They are 5-1 after, once again, a totally not controversial victory against the Detroit Lions that nobody in uh, Ben's current place of residence is grumpy about at all. And with that, we are going to see you guys later. Thanks for listening, and uh, go Pack Go. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Peace.